You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. All right, so last week we rolled out a series, a mini-series, just a few weeks here, on the topic of money. And you came back. (laughs) Way to go, right? And uh, so you must not have been scared away too bad, or you didn't know, and you showed up today, and uh, you won't be here next week. I don't know. Uh, We acknowledged last week that the topic of money is a difficult topic. How many would agree with me? There's many layers, many reasons for that. And personally, the truth is, is that most people are very uncomfortable when talking about money and especially their own. They, you don't want to talk about, you know, how much do you make or how much do you spend? You, you just, there's some taboo things that you just don't bring up because it's sensitive. It's difficult, yes. But I also just recognize that sermons about money are very powerful sermons. It's the truth. Because it's something that we all have in common. Money. Whether we have just a little bit or we got more than we know what to do with, uh, the reality is we all, (laughs) yeah, that's funny, um, uh, (laughs) that we all have an opportunity every single day of our lives to deal with money. Isn't that the truth? And so it's powerful. Now, We said last week that this is a series on money, not a series about what? Giving. That's right. This is not a series about giving, or at least not directly. Instead, it's a series about personal finance, about debt-free living, about handling money God's way. And we are titling the series, Living the Dream, When Finances and When Faith Collide. And the truth is, the Bible talks a lot about money. We said last week, over 800 times the topic of money is discussed. Howard Dayton from Crown uh, Ministries, um, a ministry that really helps people live uh, uh, financially in God's ways, uh, put together a study about money and possession. And over 2,300 times the Bible talks about money and possession, uh, one or both of those things. Jesus talked about money a lot, more than he talked about prayer, more than he talked about faith. And you put that together and you say, okay, there's a lot we can learn about money from God's word. And the truth is, and this is tough to say, that most of us statistically are not submitting to what God's word says about money. What does God's word say about money? Well, it says that we're supposed to be givers, and that's a big issue. I looked it up, and I know it's not a series on giving, but just give me a a brief second. 10 to 25% of Christians worldwide, it's estimated, according to a January uh, 2018 study, uh, 10 to 25% of the world uh, that are Christians give their tithes. That's one out of 10, up to one out of four at the best. You say, okay, uh, that's better than I thought, or maybe it's worse. I don't know. In America, though, in the U.S., only 5% of the U.S. population that call themselves Christians give their tithes. That's one in every 20 people. That, it's a big issue. 
And let me just say one last little thing. Dave Ramsey, who I love, he says 100% of people who win with money are givers. You will not win with money until you learn how to give. Now, it's not a series about giving, but it is a big issue. The other big issue and when it comes to God's word is our indebtedness. And what does God's word say about debt? It's a big issue. According to Pew Charities or Charitable Trust, a survey was done. 80% of Americans, uh, and this was a survey done early in July this year, uh, hold some sort of debt. That's eight out of 10 of us. If we just lined us up, eight out of 10 have some sort of debt. And out of those that of us that have debt, 85% of those said that they use debt to live beyond their means. In other words, they don't have enough money coming in, so they buy something on time, pay for it later. They're living beyond their means. Seven in 10 Americans said that debt is a necessity in their lives. It's a big issue, and it goes against what God's Word encourages us to do. When we put together our consumer debt, and our home debt, and our auto debt, and our school debt, and our medical debt, our business debt, it is a big, big issue. Now, I'm not here to rub it in. I'm not here to beat us up, but it's a big issue. And we talked last week a little like about the American dream. Is this the American dream? To create debt, to buy now, pay later, get more and more stuff? Is that what we're living for? Is that just the way it's going to be? Well, church, I believe that there's a better dream, and that dream includes debt-free living. And yes, it's hard. uh, This week and next week, we're going to explore that a little bit. I want you to know that it's absolutely possible. And to start that last week, we talked about the idea of contentment. Really, we looked at the negative side, discontentment. We wrestled with that last week. And I don't know about you, uh, coming out of last Sunday, it was, it was a tough week. On the way home, uh, I was with Logan, and Logan and I, we started talking about contentment, and, and uh, he had been wanting some things and didn't have it for his birthday with some birthday money that he hasn't got yet, but he wanted to buy it now and then pay back. And, and he's like, is that a contentment issue? I don't want and, and it was it caused some conversation. I'm not sure how what it was like in your home. Uh, there were other things. Uh, I, when I was driving down the road and I'm listening to the radio, I hear marketing about contentment and and I just it was like these these things going off in my brain on the radio, on the TV, on Facebook. And I just want to say I'm sorry if I ruined you. Uh, but this week, just yesterday, I almost bought oh i had it pulled up what happened to it oh here it is here it is this showed up on groupon is like boom right in my face and i and i i spent i almost pulled the trigger on this a pair of swimming goggles this is how ridiculous this is a pair of swimming goggles no leaking anti-fog uv protection normally eighty dollars for $8.99, including free shipping. That's, folks, that's 89% off. I hardly ever swim. <laughs> and I almost pulled the trigger to buy 10 pair. I don't know, not, not really. I seriously, I was like, right, I'm like, that's a good deal. Contentment. We talked about envy last week, and boy, that's tough. The, the definition we looked at and kind of got our mind around was resenting God's goodness in others. 
right? And we said, we got to stop the comparison game. What someone else has compared to what I have, that is not a godly behavior. The second part of that definition says ignoring God's goodness in your own life. And this is really tragic. There's so many, even believers, that go through life and they forget to be thankful, to be full of gratitude. So we said we got to cultivate gratitude. That was the first of three ideas, contentment, last week. Well, today we're going to move on to the second idea, and that idea is the idea of stewardship. And we want to link the idea of stewardship with living the dream. The goal is to change our mindset, to change the narrative, to to change the dream. And we want you to walk away with some takeaways each of these weeks, saying, I can do something about this. And some, one of those takeaways that we want to encourage many of you to do is to sign up for a Dave Ramsey class that we're providing starting in January, January 7th. And Lord willing, we'll be in our new building and in a debt-free uh, building that God has provided miraculously for. What a testimony to our community. And, uh, and you can be a part of that class and get on the way. One of the things that we've done is we created a little bonus for the first 20 people that sign up for the Dave Ramsey class. We have already purchased on your behalf, and I don't know who, which one of you is going to be able to get it, but a, a free ticket to the live event uh, that's going to happen in February uh, where Dave Ramsey will be in Grand Rapids. And we, we knew we were going to do the class, and we said, hey, let's do this. We got a sweet deal. Normally it's like 70 bucks a ticket or something. And, uh, and so that will be a bonus, no charge. And so I've seen Dave Ramsey in person, and it's awesome. And uh, anyway, and so those are some of the takeaways for some that will be here. We're talking about stewardship. And I know that stewardship is an old-fashioned word. It's not a word that we throw around a whole lot. Essentially, what it means is taking care of someone else's stuff, right? We're managing. It's a biblical term, and it's more than just money. And what I want you to know is that there will be an accounting of the way you manage, the way that you steward stuff in your life. It's, it's the way you manage yourself, your possessions, your time, your ability, all of those things, and even your money. Now, to help us get our mind around this, there's a great parable in Matthew chapter 25. In my Bible, it's labeled the parable of the bags of gold. How many have heard this this, uh, parable before? I didn't think so. It's actually, in most of your Bibles, it probably says the parable of the talents. How many have heard of the parable of the talents? There you go. And that's what we want to do. And um, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. I want to read a few verses, give some summary here. Uh, Let's start in verse 14. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So we got this story. This guy's going on, going to travel. He's got servants. He brings them in. To, for one, he gives five bags of gold. And then what we know, if you know this, the story, is that guy puts that money to work and ends up gaining five more. The guy that gets two bags of gold, he does the same. He gets right to work and he turns two bags of gold into four. The last guy, if you know the story, what does he do? He takes his one bag of gold 
and he's afraid, right? He gets halted. He, he doesn't do anything. He actually goes and digs a hole, buries it, right? Bad idea. Look at verse 19. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned, uh-oh, and settled the accounts with them. Verse 20, the man who had received five gold, uh, bags, gold, bags of gold excuse me, brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in the master's happiness. The same thing happens for the guy with two bags of gold. He brings four, and they say the same thing, well done. And then in verse 24, the guy with the one bag of gold, he goes, at least he remembered where he buried it, I guess, uh, but he goes, he digs up the bag of gold, brings it with full of excuses, right? He's afraid. He tells his story. And look at verse 26. It says, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. This is a parable about stewardship, folks. And what I'd like to do is over the next few moments is to pull out a few principles that we see. And the first principle is the principle of ownership. It's ownership. In the parable, the man going on the journey, he's the one who owns the gold. Am I right? The servants, they don't own it. They were just entrusted with that. The servants didn't own the gold. They were managers. Look at verse 14. It says, the man going on the journey, he called his servants and entrusted his wealth, the gold, to them. It reminds me of a verse in Psalm, Psalm uh, 24, that really caught my attention. And I've known this, and I actually had it circled in my Bible, but as I was studying, I was reminded. It says this, says the Lord, the earth, I'm sorry, is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. In other words, God owns everything. In Genesis, he created everything, and then he put Adam, the first manager, to have dominion over, but to manage the earth. This is a fundamental stewardship biblical principle. We are simply managers on God's behalf. Are you with me? And because of that, stewardship expresses our obedience regarding the administration of everything God places under our control. Now, I know that some will give some kickback and be like, you know, hey, no, I worked real hard and I bought something and that's mine, right? You know, these, the clothes I'm wearing, those are mine, right? The car I drive, the house I live in, whatever the case might be. Well, listen, <laughs> I was reminded, Deuteronomy chapter 8, you can turn there, underline this. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. In other words, I'm the owner. I'm the one that put in the hard work. I, got, I saved up that gun that I'm going to shoot a deer with this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not next Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, listen, th that gun, I own that. That's mine, right? But look what the gentle reminder is. I love this. It says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he 
who gives you the ability even to produce wealth. And so he confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. In other words, God owns it all. Just say that under your breath, just real quick. God owns it all. Let that sink in. In this parable, it definitely speaks to the the guy going on the journey. He's the one that owned it all. The second principle we see that's kind of overlaid here is the principle of responsibility. I love this. Again, in the parable, we see the word entrusted over and over. Uh, Turn back with me to uh, Matthew chapter 25, or maybe you're still there. In verse 14, it says, He called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. We see that word entrusted in verse 20, and we see it again in verse 22, and we see it again, uh, actually, that might be the last time. And, um, uh, but anyway, he entrusted these servants, and they had a responsibility to take care of the master's wishes. I was reading, uh, and I came across one pastor that talked about responsibility and, and God owning all things. And he said this, Although God gives us all things richly to enjoy, nothing is ours, he said. Nothing really belongs to us. God owns everything. We just said that. He says we are responsible, there's the key word, for how we treat it and what we do with it. While we complain about our rights here on earth, the Bible constantly asks, what is your responsibility? And then there's this little phrase, and this this will be on the screen. You might want to write it down. He says, owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. See the difference? Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibility. And if we're going to steward what God has given us, we have responsibility to do with what God has given us and to do it, I believe, according to Scripture. See, God has graciously entrusted us with the care and the development and enjoyment of everything that He owns. We are responsible to manage His holdings, so to speak, and we need to do it well and according to His desire and according to His purpose. Am I right? Yes. So we talk about ownership. We look at responsibility. The third principle that we see here is the principle of accountability. In the parable, Matthew 25, the guy comes back (laughs) and he's going to call for an account. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with each of his servants. He settled it. And what's interesting is for each of us, one day each of us will be called to give an account for how we managed what the Lord has given us. Just like the servant. So how are we going to spend our time? We're going to be held accountable for that. How we uh, handle our abilities, our giftings, our information, our knowledge that we have. We will give an account for how we manage that, how we uh, steward that, our relationships, our even our authority, and our money. When I was growing up, I was thinking about this, and you know, my mom and dad, um, they, they found a verse in the Bible, and I'm sure it's there. I couldn't find it today. 
Um, but it says that you will give an account for every idle word spoken. Have you, you ever heard that before? Yeah, it's in there. I just couldn't find it quick this morning. And I was, but um, and I thought, man, you know, every idle word, every bad word I've ever said, or every you know sarcastic thing um, that I've ever said. <laughs> I'm looking at Bobby, not you, Kyle. But I could, but I'm just saying. That. But anyway, but then I thought, man, every time we spend money, will there will be an accounting of that? Really? Like, well, when it comes to stewardship, there will be an accountability. And the point is, we will give an account to the rightful owner, who is God, right? As to how well we managed what he has entrusted us with. It's a stewardship principle. And that is kind of scary in some ways. So we talk about ownership. We talk about responsibility. We talk about accountability. But there's a, thir- a fourth principle that's great that we see in this uh, passage as well. And that's the principle of reward. And I love this. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. I love this. It's underlined in my Bible. You might want to do the same. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart and as for the Lord, not for human masters. I can't tell you how many times I've used that verse and uh, with people that are working and they're frustrated with their job. And, and I just, I will remind people, I remind myself, look, we are working for the Lord. You don't work for General Motors. You don't work for Shape Corporation. You don't work for the bank. You don't work for the, wherever you work, for the hospital. You work for the Lord, right? That's so good. I love that. But then it says, since you know that you, so it says, whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not, as hum- not for human masters. Why? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. There will be a reward. In the parable that we're studying, there were five bags of gold turned to 10. And that guy in verse 21, he gives an account. He says, it says, well done. There's an action word there. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share in the master's happiness. In other words, come and share with the stuff that I have. There's a reward. And when you steward things well, there is a biblical reward. Faithful stewards who who do their master's will can expect to be rewarded. It's found in Scripture, all throughout Scripture. Now, it's probably on this side of eternity, it's going to be an incomplete reward. You know, there are definitely blessings on this side of eternity, but ultimately, each of us that have given our hearts to the Lord, that are faithful, will experience God's full blessing, eternity in heaven. It'll be worth it. You see, stewardship goes beyond just church budgets and building projects. Stewardship connects everything we do with what God is doing in the world. I was thinking, you know, God has blessed us here at the Gateway Church. And I just want to say to our team, our board, 
and the, the team uh, for years uh, that have helped us with our finances. Um, there is good stewardship principles that we live by here. And I believe it's part of the reason why God has chose to bless us in such a powerful way. The miracle we're experiencing is a reflection of years and years. We'll talk about that next, next week. But years and years of doing the right thing over and over, even when it's difficult. And I think when God looks for somewhere to bless, he looks for good stewards, people that are faithful, that are doing what he says to do. And uh, again, I'm thankful for the team that God has put in place here at the Gateway Church. Now, we're talking about living the dream, right? It's that we could dare to dream a different dream. And uh, in, even in regards to debt-free living. And uh, let me just ask, what would you do if you fully understood st- the stewardship principles play that, that the Bible talks about? What would that look like if faith and your money and your finances intersected? In regards to your money, what would that look like? Well, I know one thing it would look like. You would be avoiding debt. You wouldn't buy now, pay later. And I get it. It is so appealing. It's so tempting. We all have had the time where we've said, hmm, I want that, (laughs) right? We've all been there. We talked about that last week with contentment. Or even I need that. I need that car or I need that, uh, that washer machine or I need that vacation or I need whatever the case. And then it even goes a step uh, worse maybe. I deserve it. I've been working so hard. I deserve that toy or this or that. And I, the, the American culture says you can have it now and pay for it later. And you'll pay twice as much. But listen, debt is a trap. When you would say living the dream, we need to avoid debt. And I don't want to be insensitive. I understand there are medical things that creep up and un- things that are unexpected. And all of a sudden, you're in a situation where you're paying over time. And that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But listen, uh, I've been there. I've had those urges. And I've made mistakes. You want to hear a couple of those mistakes? I know some of you do. You just like to revel in my misery. There's part of my money story that is painful, and I have. I've made some mistakes. Early in the early 2000s, I convinced my wife, Jessica, bless her heart, um, to buy a couple homes that we couldn't afford uh, with our equity line, and not only my equity line, but my another friend's equity. So we took the equity from our houses, and we bought two homes with this investor. The promise was to turn and flip those in 60 to 90 days. Well, how many know that doesn't always happen? <laughs> and it didn't happen for us. 60 days came, 90 days came, 120 days, six months came, nine months came. It took, in both cases, just over a year to unload these, these homes. And we're paying interest on the equity line and when it was all said and done, we broke even by God's grace on one. We made about $1,000 on the other to split, so $500 each. Listen, it was not worth it. It was a bad investment. And you say, well, why do you talk about that? Well, because we thought we could use debt and leverage it, and we thought we were smart. <laughs> 
and we just weren't. Listen, when I would put my head on the pillow at night, my mind wasn't thinking about my family or my kid, my wife. Uh, my, the fam- my head was not thinking about um, uh, stuff at church because I was you know, a children's pastor. I wasn't thinking about ministry. More often than not, I was thinking about those stupid homes. And the reality, it caused a lot of pain and a lot of grief. And it affected our marriage and all kinds of things. And it was a huge mistake playing around with debt. Fast forward a couple years, 2011. You'd think I would learn my lesson, but I didn't. Um, I thought, oh man, I need a new bike. And I was really into biking then. I was biking you know, a lot of miles and, and I had been saving for several months and I just wasn't quite there. And I convinced my wife again, Jessica, I said, hey, I bike direct. They put a, a new bike that was over 50% off. It was going to save me thousands of dollars. And I know what you're thinking. What kind of bike did you buy? <laughs> it was expensive. And, um, and I convinced her to pull the trigger, even though I hadn't saved up all the money. And so we bought it, and then I paid it off over the next couple, paid ourselves back, so to speak, over the next few months. And what's painful about that story, <laughs> Logan, who's playing the drums today, um, he likes to bring that particular story up every time he wants to buy something before he has the money. And he's like, Dad, you did that with the bike. (laughs) And even this last week, he's not here, so uh, we might be recording this, but anyway. (laughs) I said, I sat him down, I said, look, Logan, I do not want my past stupidity to affect your future financial decisions and we had to kind of put the brakes on with something this week and and uh, because you hopefully learn from some of these mistakes the point I want you to know is look I have not been perfect by by uh, all indications I have made mistakes Uh, there's a lot of things I have done done well I would say it's one of my gifts in regards to to stewarding money money but I'm not 100 percent and I don't think any of us are you say, well, how do most people spend their money? How, do they, how does that look, or what does that look like, at least in uh, our American mindset? Well, it's like this. They use their money to live, right? All the things that they need. Then they save a little, and then they give. And what happens in that circumstance, uh, they give what's left, and that's why only 5% of Americans actually tithe. And they, uh, they, they give, and then they want to make a big deal, kind of slow motion, like, look, God, I'm giving back to you. And it's the last thing, and it's a portion, but it's a small portion, not what God has asked There's a better way, there's a better stewarding method. If God really owns everything, could we flip this and understand that we should give first, then save, then live on the rest? And when I say give, it starts with the tithe, right? I I like to say that tithing is not giving, it's just not stealing. Some of you get what I mean, according to Scripture. But not only do we like to give, but we like to give to missions as well. And then we save because the God's word says we should be saving. We want to uh, save up for a rainy day. We want to be a blessing for our children's children, according to scripture. And then we live off 
the rest. This is what we taught our kids, that in our house, you're going to give a tithe because we don't want to curse <laughs> on our house. And then we encourage our kids beyond the tithe uh, to do something for missions. And whether it's a small percentage or large, uh, you can do that. The very next thing we said, you save 10%, a minimum 10%. Now, my daughter, Reagan, uh, she saves like 70 or 80%. She's a saving freak. And, uh, and, and, you say, and then we say, then you can spend the rest. You say, well, why do you teach your kids that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because when my daughter started babysitting, and she made $14 for working for two hours. The church needed that dollar and 40 cents. And my son, he just got his first real job just this last week. $40 you made, right, buddy? <laughs> 40 American dollars. And you know what? The church needs that $4. Does that make sense? Absolutely not. The church does not need $1.40 for my daughter or $4 from Logan or hundreds of dollars, whatever 10% is represented. The church does not need my money. It doesn't need your money. This is not about the money. It's about our heart and saying, I, will I be a steward? Will I acknowledge that God owns everything and surrender back to him what he's asked us to do? See, I do not want my kids to be mastered by money. And the truth is, money will compete for that first place spot in all of our lives. I don't want money to win with my kids, and I don't want it to win in your life as well. Instead, could we live by Matthew 6, that says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, right? And all these things will be added unto you. You're going to get stuff when you seek God don't worry. We are called to be good stewards. And we need to remember that. And remember that there will be an accounting of your managing. And so we say, look, we need to give, then save, then live. Let's flip that around. All right, let's wrap this up. Got three quick ideas. Number one, good stewardship involves taking risks. And that might surprise some of you, but it's, a, it's the very much the truth. Good stewardship involves taking risk. You don't want to hoard things like the parable and go dig a hole and just, you know, just leave it. You don't play it safe. You want to have wise investments. You want to use your wealth in a wise way for the Lord's work. Um, and I know that there's different risk tolerances uh, among different people, and uh, there's no right or wrong necessarily. But listen, the guy with five talents and the guy with f uh, two talents, um, they had according to their ability, they each took a risk. When they spent that money to make more, listen, there was no guarantee. Now, we know how the parable ends, but when you do something, you take a risk, it, there may not be a reward, um, and, but it's still worth the risk. And stewardship is all about faith, walking by faith. So good stewardship involves risk. The second thing, good stewardship involves a level of excellence. You don't want to be sloppy with your finances. You don't want to do things second rate. Uh, there's probably many people here, statistically, that would fire yourself if you were managing your money the way you would manage in a business. Did I say that right? Um, 
L- listen, if you manage a business the way you manage your own money, you would, you'd fire yourself. <laughs> right? And again, I think that's one of the reasons God's blessing here. And so anyway, it, it takes excellence. And we want to encourage you to do that and to really take good control, pay attention. It takes a measure of excellence. And then the last thing, good stewardship. You can't get away from it. It involves hard work. It involves hard work. Now, in the parable that we're studying, the first guy with five gold bags, he got to work. The second guy with two bags of gold, he got to work. The third guy did nothing, and he was called lazy and a wicked servant. You've got to work hard. And I love when people understand a good work ethic. It's important. And stewarding your time and your resources is so important. A few, uh, about a month, and maybe a month and a half ago, I was reading through scripture um, and uh, came to Psalm 91. It was with our soap reading. And I read Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2. And this is what it says. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, my fortress, and God whom I trust. And I was reading that, meditating on it, and that word rest kind of reminded me of a friend that this year, uh, his word of the year, he kind of picks a word for the year, is the word rest. And uh, I, I thought, oh man. So I took a picture of my Bible, I'd underlined it, and I made, made a couple notes around it. And I took a picture and I sent it to my friend. And I said, hey, I know you're working on rest and you're working on Sabbath and, and uh, trying to figure that out in your life. And I hope this is a blessing to you. And, uh, and he sent me back a text, and I want to read it to you. He says, I am working on being a Sabbath man, which is kind of a weird way to say that. But uh, I'm working on being a Sabbath man, one who works like crazy for six days, who sweats, who bleeds, who strives, and then stops. There's no such thing as balance, he said. There's only work, work, work for the kingdom for six days, and then stop, recuperate, and rejuvenate, and then do it again. And it just speaks to the idea that we as God's people, we were created to work. And for some of you, your work ethic could use a little shot in the arm. And it's all about being a good steward of what God has given you. What kind of takeaways are there? There's all kinds of takeaways. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is speaking to, to many of us in regards to our finances or our time or all different things. There will be an accounting uh, of your managing. But what I want us to do is to invite the Holy Spirit, to invite God, and invite God into our finances, each of us. Say, Holy Spirit, help me with my finances, my faith and my finances colliding. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you're a gentle God, that you love us so much and that you care. And Lord, I pray that this morning, uh, this encouragement of this, of this message, God, will make uh, 
a significant difference. Lord, that there'll be takeaways all across the board that we can latch on to and that you would help us. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments we would turn our hearts towards you and decide some things in our hearts and our lives that will make the difference. Lord, we thank you for this. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. With your head bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to just challenge us just briefly before we come back to finances to look at the reality of our spiritual state and an indebtedness that we all have. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. When we sin, we cannot make it into heaven on our own. But God, God sent his son into the world to die for us, and he takes our sin, and he takes it as far as the east is from the west, and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Now this morning, as we just let the Holy Spirit kind of rest here in this moment, all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would. Just this is between you and the Lord at this point, saying, hey, the reality is I do not have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. And if that's you this morning, we want to offer you the free gift of salvation. And we'd love to be able to pray with you. If you're here this morning, you're saying, yep, that's me. I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I'm away from God. Or maybe you've never accepted Christ. Is there anyone here at all? Just slip up your hand. From the front to the back, side to side, just just slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you, asking God to pour out his power and his presence and to save anybody at all okay all right i don't have any hands going up i'd like you to keep your head bowed and eyes closed here for just another moment how many here this morning if you're honest between you and god you'd say you know pastor i need to invite god into my finances just i want you to slip up your hand yep lots lots of hands you bet thanks for your honesty reality is our faith and our finances, they do collide. And what my, the big takeaway, uh, it might be the Dave Ramsey thing. It could be tweaking something. It could be getting order, uh, not being so sloppy. It could be all kinds of things in regards to our money. It could be in regards to our giving. The Holy Spirit might be speaking. But let's just ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is that next step that you need to take in regards to your finances? Is it a surrendering? Is it a uh, uh, fixing? Is it a uh, reallocating? Because whatever it is, the, whatever the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart, He, the Holy Spirit, He will give you the strength to accomplish every dream that you could ever get your mind around and the Holy Spirit he wants to do that in each of our lives in each of our hearts I want to pray for you Lord I pray that uh, for those that raise their hands those that didn't Lord that we would be people that would steward 
your resources well. Lord, we declare together that it's all yours anyways. We are just stewards. We're just managers. And Lord, for some, we need to ask forgiveness. Lord, we've been consumed with ourselves. We've been concerned, consumed with our own living. We may have saved a little and given even little more, uh, even less. God, I pray that you would help us to get our minds around that. And Lord, I pray that you'd give each of us a next step in regards to our finances. Help us to be good stewards, to be content in all these things. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. I want you to stand. And the way we want to close this morning is by no matter what circumstance we found ourselves in, the reality, we're all in different places financially. Some may be just drowning in debt and just like can't even breathe and they're just barely making it. There are others of us here uh, uh, that, uh, that have a good financial grasp and doing well. There may be some here uh, that are completely debt-free, including their house, their business, everything. And uh, we say praise the Lord for that. But no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we can all agree to this, that we serve a great God and we can be full of gratitude. And what we'd like to do is kind of reprise that, la that first song we sang this morning about being grateful. And so without further ado, let's do that. Let's ask the Lord to fill us with a grateful heart as we prepare to leave this morning. All right, so let's put our hands together. Come on. Let's sing it out from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.